So here we are, Claire's second induction. A little greedy, wouldn't you agree? Seems that it wasn't enough to be inducted in 2001 here, then ordained in 2004 here. Bumper year 2004, because he slipped in a marriage as well, here. Uh, then two children dedicated here. Uh, now back again for an induction here. So I look back, I look back at my sermon um, when she was first inducted. I was well proud of it. Ten points all beginning with the same letter. <laughs> and I thought, go you. How cool is that? Why can't you do that anymore? Um, and, and then I thought, well, a second induction, it's, you've got to better yourself, haven't you? You've always got to step up. Uh, and that's when my week went all wrong, really, because I, I just couldn't step up. And uh, uh, to, my, to my embarrassment, I feel like God's given me a really simple word uh, this morning, which lacks perhaps some of the energy and complexity that we had when we were a decade or so younger uh, than we are now. So I'm feeling it with you. Uh, and I want us to focus on uh, the implications of just one verse in the Old Testament that's found in the book of Jeremiah. And the people of God are in a bit of a, a, bit of a pickle, to say the least. And God's speaking to Jeremiah, encouraging them about the future. There's always a future and a hope, Jeremiah also tells us. And, uh, uh, and this verse, well, here it is. Read it for yourselves uh, on the screen. Or just flip it open in your Bible so that you've got it to look at uh, a bit later. Then, looking ahead, there's always hope. There's always a future. God's always working his purpose out. We're never at a dead end in a cul-de-sac. Even when they thought it was all falling apart, God says, then a day will come. I'll give you shepherds, leaders, overseers, ministers, ministers in training, interns, after my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. I'll give you leaders after my own heart. Heart. And at that point, everyone else who doesn't think there's a leader in the room goes, ah, oh, feel the pressure's off. Pressure's all on them. But you will know. You will know that the whole idea of leadership, the whole discipleship journey is that leaders go first, but all of us make the journey. And in that sense, all of you are shepherds to somebody. You're all going first in the faith for somebody and I trust you've all got people that are ahead of you in whose wake you are able to follow as we disciple one another together. Shepherds after my own heart, says God. So what is God's heart? Or to ask the question another way, what does God love? He loves this morning, doesn't he? He loves it when we worship with all of our hearts. He loves it when we pray. He loves it when we set people aside and cheer others on. He loves it when we do good things. He loves it when we uh, 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 share a life together that brings people from all kinds of backgrounds, ages, and situations and says, you are uh, my family. He loves it. But maybe all those things are, are, are dwarfed by the overwhelming thing that God loves. 
the thing that oozes from every page of the Scripture, the thing that the whole story has always been about. The one thing that if it captivated our minds and took over our hearts in the way it seems to have captivated heaven and taken over heaven's heart, all the churchy stuff we worry about would dissipate, maybe even disappear. God loves lost people. God's heart is that lost people be reached. That's what the whole story is about. What do I mean by lost people? People who haven't yet discovered that there is a Father in heaven who loves them more than they will ever know or understand. And so in that sense, live in this world as orphans because they're not yet aware that there's a Father in heaven who cares for them every moment of every day. Those who are lost, not knowing where they come from or struggling to understand why they are here or or where they are going or what tomorrow will bring. People are lost all around us, wondering what life has in store for their tomorrows. People that are fearful, troubled in spirit, anxious at heart, so on and so forth. God's heart, his overwhelming heart, the things he he really cares about is that lost people be reached. And the whole story is about it. Almost from the beginning of the Bible, God raised up a a really significant guy called Abraham and says, uh, basically says, I'm going to start with you, and the idea is I'm going to bless you so that your nation will get blessed, and I'm going to bless your nation so that the whole world will be blessed. I'm going to let you know that I'm your father so that the whole nation will know that I'm their father so that the whole world will know that I'm their father. And they, they couldn't quite see how it would all work out. And then they started, this history of the Bible points towards one day when a special person, a special ruler will come who somehow will make it all happen. And we know that in the fullness of time, Jesus himself came. God himself came in order to say to the whole world, in order to demonstrate beyond measure that God's heart is always for lost people. God demonstrates his own love, his own passion for us. But while we were lost, he died for us. So committed, the Bible says, that Jesus came from heaven to seek and to save those who are lost. God's heart, God's commitment, God's love. It doesn't matter who who they are. Whether it's the gentleman very respectfully putting his bed away in our porch where he'd slept overnight this morning. Or whether it's someone that you met in work or in business somewhere this week. When on the outside it seems like they've got everything but you scratched a little below the surface and you discovered that the person that seems to have everything actually feels like they've got barely nothing. God's heart is radically orientated towards them. So much so that Jesus told a parable He said, basically, if we've got 99 people in church having bacon butties, and I remember that there's one person that's still lost, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave the party for the one that still doesn't know they are invited. And it's radical, isn't it? 
It turns all that we do on its head. It turns us, as that sermon series a few years ago said, turns us inside out. When was the last time you were in the sheep pen and you couldn't get the one that was lost out of your mind or out of your heart? When was the last time? When was the last time your heart ached, hurt for someone who was lost? There was a M25 type junction just outside Jerusalem. And if you were traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem, you'd come up the hill to the top of the Mount of Olives and you'd get to the top and you could see Jerusalem all spread out beneath you. And it was a busy place. Traders, marketeers, travelers coming there every day. You would maybe queue there because there would be roadworks or something like that. The only difference is these guys were walking, uh, but there was probably the same contraflow system in place. But people in their busyness would walk up the Mount of Olives and they'd look over Jerusalem and they'd rush on by. And people would do that, what, in their tens, in their hundreds, in their thousands. In fact, when this verse that I'm going to highlight in a moment was uh, describing, it was probably thousands because it was festival time. And it says that Jesus got to the top of the hill and he stopped and he looked over the magnificent city. A city that seemed so alive with so many people. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands, had come into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. And so it was buzzing with life, or so it seemed. And it says that Jesus stopped at the brow of the hill, and he looked over this magnificent view, and he, and he wept. And he wept. He saw what perhaps no one else that day could see. That all the busyness, all the religiosity, all the coming and going, all the uh, organizing of life and the making of money and the buying and selling, masked that deep inside people's hearts, there was a lostness. There was a disconnect between who they had become and what God longed for them to know. And he wept. God is radically orientated towards lost people. And we need shepherds. We need ministers and interns and operation managers and ministry team members. And God's heart, radically orientated towards lost people. We need shepherds because we need sheep that are radically orientated towards lost people too. It's embarrassingly simple, but deeply profound. And if God's heart is that lost people are reached, God's heart is also that his people do the reaching. And that's why moments like today can be so good for us, because we go brilliant. We've just appointed a few more people to do it. And therein lies the problem. It's so tempting for us to think that the responsibility of reaching lost people is with the ones that were here, you know, the special ones. The ones that God has, in, in a different way, set apart. 
Typically, the task of reaching lost people has been like that. I have someone that needs to come to faith. I'll bring them to the church, and then one of those special people will help them and pray for them and talk to them and do something with them. And my job is that I bring them. And you say that to me sometimes, don't you? And you've heard me say this before. You say, it better be a good sermon on Sunday because I'm bringing... No pressure. No pressure. You want me in 25 minutes, perhaps 40 minutes, (laughs) to solve their eternal destiny. All you have to do is bring them. I've got to do the rest. Well, you wanted that job. Let me let you into a secret. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, does it? And, 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 and you go, yeah, it doesn't work because you're a rubbish preacher. Uh, that, now you could, that's fair enough. But it didn't work for Jesus either. If it worked for Jesus, there would have been thousands in the upper room. Or was he a rubbish preacher too? Hmm, awkward. Not sure. It doesn't work. And perhaps that's because it was never meant to work. Isn't it? Isn't it the special people that do the stuff? Didn't Jesus appoint 12 special people to do the stuff? Absolutely. 12 special people to do the stuff. And then those 12 people did the stuff. So there were 72 people that Jesus then sent out to do the stuff. Uh, And then at the end, the climax, the final moments of Jesus' life, he sent... He said, now I'm going to send all of you, teaching them to obey everything. So we went for the 12 special people to do the stuff, to the 72 special people to do the stuff. Now everybody's going to do the stuff. So either there are no special people, or we're all special people. We're all special people. And, 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 you know, we believe in Jesus But as we say, Jesus absolutely believes in us. That we can become like him and do the things that he does. God's heart is that his people do the reaching. His people do the reaching. So why do we need these Muppets then that we appointed today? If we can all do it, what's that all about? Because we need people to coach us. We need people to mentor us. We need people to stand with us. We need people to cheer us on. We need people to come alongside us when we're down. We need people to... We need each other. And these shepherds and missional community leaders, small group leaders, organizational leaders, shepherds are everywhere. And our task is to help the sheep to flourish. And there is no other way for us to flourish than to become absolutely passionate about reaching lost people. It's the fastest way to set your small group on fire. It's the fastest way to get a missional community up off its knees. It's the fastest way to get an organization moving in the right direction. Jesus was absolutely right when he said, go into all that. Jesus was absolutely right. How good of me to say that? Jesus, you're absolutely... Careful consideration, Lord. You are absolutely right. Go into all the world and worship, do Bible study, a million things we could do. All absolutely part of the kingdom life. Jesus said, put mission first. Go into all the world and make disciples. Because he knew 
that everything else would take on its rightful place if we did just that. And I know it creates a right mess. As a church, as we say deep in our hearts that we can all do the stuff, we're not appointing leaders to do it for us. We're appointing leaders to help us do it, to help each one of us be disciple-making disciples. And as we as a church put our hand to that truth, our hand to that plow of truth and say, we're going we're gonna to travel that journey. That's what God's laying on our hearts. That's what God's reaching by his spirit into our being, calling us forth into. It's going to be messy. And it is messy. And it is a muddle. And we're not where we were. And we're nowhere near where we want to be. And in that transition is all kinds of things. But actually, because we have released within us the truth that ordinary people can do ordinary discipleship, or put it this way, because we're all extraordinary, extraordinary people can do extraordinary discipleship. We have seen people come to faith over the last few years that never, ever, ever would have come to faith if you were resting on me or one of the leaders to do the task. Isn't that true? You're not sure, are you? Bless you. Isn't that true? You're not sure. Unbelievable the way people in this community have stepped out over these last few years and say, I'm not sure, but God, I can hear you call, and I'm stepping out, and we've seen people come into the kingdom. And some of you have been in this baptismal pool baptizing people that you've led to Jesus that never would have come because of a brilliant sermon or because of a fantastic leader or whatever else it might be. And so there's a reformation going on among us. Uh, Back in the Middle Ages, the Bible was always only in Latin. So only the educated people could read the Bible and then they could tell the people what the Bible said. So you could read the Bible as a clergy person and you could say, well, what you need to do to be forgiven is give me a lot of money. And, and, and the people were powerless. And then people came along and said, that's absolutely wrong. We put the Bible into the vernacular, into people's own languages. Let people read it for themselves because it's alive and active. And I think far too long, we've said, oh, this discipleship and mission stuff, that's the prerogative, that's in the hands of the leaders. And it's time for us to release it into the body of the church. And we will see all kinds of people come to faith that never would have found him unless we'd been reformed in that way. God's doing some exciting things among us. We're on an exciting journey. And what's really lovely about what's happened this morning is that we've set some people apart to really help us in this journey, that we can increase our capacity to coach and mentor, that we can increase our capacity to support, to love and care, that together we might be empowered to be God's people. A movement of ordinary people. You and me. Let's be quiet for a moment. And I want to invite you in your heart just to think about what your Jerusalem or where your Jerusalem is. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and his heart was just aching for the people that were lost. Where's your 
Jerusalem. And the amazing thing about Jesus, knowing that it would cost him his life, knowing that he would be broken and misunderstood, and he would be abused and ill-treated, even crucified, he carried on down into Jerusalem to the place that God had laid on his heart. And there in that place, he gave himself that lost people might be found. And as our hearts begin to break over whatever our Jerusalem is, we don't keep our distance, but we move on down into that place, into that community, knowing perhaps we'll be misunderstood, perhaps we'll be laying things down, perhaps there'll be a, a very heavy cost. But as we follow Jesus, we too will be broken and poured out for the life of the world. Passionately orientated for lost people. And there are a thousand reasons why we'd say no. All our insecurities and vulnerabilities come flooding to the surface. The hundred reasons why it's not a good idea fill our minds and engage our hearts. But we're ready to say, even so, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. And as a body of believers, we covenant together to do everything we can to help one another with the visions and purposes that God lays on our hearts.